Welcome to Dragon Talk, the That's official right. Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito with the wonderful Shelly Mazanoble. That's your name. That's my name. And wonderful. You're not wearing it out. No. No, you're not. No. Uh, so we'll get to uh, the amazing interview that we're going to have uh, with two gentlemen who have been playing in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign for 34 years. Fascinating. It's very interesting. I, I can't wait to. I have so many questions. I'm going to pick their brains so many to questions. death. Uh, but one thing we do want to talk about is uh, that this is Dragon Talk, which right. you uh, uh, may not recognize, but it is the long-form Dungeons and Dragons podcast uh, where we talk to D&D creators like the folks we're going to talk to today and, and people like uh, Mel- Mike Selinker and uh, Rain Wilson and things we've talked to over the last year or so. Um, that is us. We will be continuing to uh, talk to these folk under the moniker of Dragon Talk. That is the RSS feed. Uh, uh, we've removed some of the older episodes that we talked about older editions, but then uh, also removed all of the audio play from Acquisitions Incorporated and moved that into a brand new feed, which we're calling Dungeon Delve. Chris Perkins uh, did some intros for those sessions, uh, starting from the first one that they did in 2008. Isn't that crazy? Yes, I remember listening to those. Yeah, it was insane. And for clarity, you removed all the audio and made it into its own podcast. Its own podcast. Lifted the audio, not... It's not just listening to Dead Space. No, it's not just Dead Space. It's all <laughs> Although actually, that could be very I'm going to say it's remastered by uh, our sound engineer, Ryan, uh, who has been working tirelessly uh, on that. Uh, so go check that out. Dungeon Delve. Uh, it doesn't have any likes or ratings, so please go over and rate and like and review and tell Chris Perkins that he's nice because oh, otherwise he'll be sad. Oh, unrated. Yeah, he'll be sad. He will be sad. Uh, and Nobody it's a great, wants him to be sad. It's a great way to check out uh, Acquisitions Incorporated uh, on the go, as it were. Mm-hmm. As your, That's uh, when I listened to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like in the car yeah. or on your I daily commute. Um, little hour-long chunks of uh, all the adventures uh, and some of the ones that were only in uh, video form, only on our YouTube channel, are now also in audio form, including up to uh, PAX East 2016. Those adventures. Greg Tito. You can listen to them. This is amazing. On Dungeon Delve. So go check that out, please. Why haven't we done this sooner? I, well, now we're doing it now. That's amazing. We're going to go back in time because we are time travelers. And so we will. Cool. This is actually recording a long time ago. <laughs> but the other cool thing is that D&D Live from Meltdown uh, uh, occurred. And it was awesome. And there is a new show uh, <laughs> as yet to be unnamed by us, but you, you will probably be aware of the name. Uh, it's led by Matt Mercer with amazing comedians. Uh, and they're talking about our new storyline called Storm King's Thunder. Uh, it's a lead up to uh, the release of that adventure product, which is coming out this September. Uh, so you'll find out all the information about that at DungeonsAndDragons.com, uh, as well as on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Underscore D N D, not and, but N N the letter N the letter N W O T C Watsy. That's correct. Yeah, that's how that's what we call it here in the biz. Yeah, yeah. In the now. In the now. It's the Watsy. (laughs) It's the (laughs) Watsy. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, the series, is also starting uh, uh, around Good this time. Lord. So check that out. Weekly uh, sessions with uh, the, that gang, all leading up to the amazing fun that will happen at PAX West this year in Seattle, our hometown. It's going to rock. It's going to be great. All right. Do you have any more announcements? Um, Ryan met The Bachelor <laughs> from two seasons ago, Chris Souls. And sent us a picture having taco pizza with him. Was um, his soul dark? Or 
Does he have a demon's soul? <laughs> it's plural, souls. Souls. So one of them could be. Dark Souls 3 is <laughs> a hot video game the kids are playing Ryan these days. Ryan was on a farm in Iowa. <laughs> I don't know why you're not talking about this. To everyone. Let everyone know what's happening. But I'm really, part of me wants to be someone who's not so excited about this. But I am. I can't help it. I'm so excited. It's good times. So anyway. So, uh, and then uh, uh, the betrayal is, is coming out. Yes. In October. Widow's Walk. Yeah. The expansion. It is going to be fun. First ever expansion. Yeah. So excited. Go back and listen to our interview with uh, Mike Selinker from Lone Truck Games. Yeah. We did uh, a lot of the design and development for that expansion. Yeah. Um, that is awesome. That was awesome. And uh, it's coming out in the next few months. Yeah. yeah. Just in time for Halloween. Ooh. All right. Well, then let's get to uh, uh, talking to our amazing uh, players who've been in this whoa, D&D whoa, campaign. Whoa, this whoa, whoa, whoa. like breaking. Wait, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening? Ryan just handed me his phone. Did you know? Oh, no. There's a Hall and Oates emergency hotline? Are you kidding me? It's real. And you can call them up and they'll emergency hotline you? It's a Hall and Oates service where a computer lady asks you to pick one of eight Hall and Oates songs to listen to and then plays it for you? Speed dial. I'm putting this on speed dial immediately. Do you know how many times a day I have a Hall and Oates emergency? How many times? I'm having one. How many times? You're having one right now? Right now. Let's call them up. That's amazing. Call up. Hall and or Oates right now. Get them on the porn. Yeah. But no, we're not. We're not getting them. We're getting oh. uh, Robert Harbaugh. Thank you, Ryan. And Jason Hashimoto, um, who are not Hall and Oates, but we're going to refer to them as Hall and Oates from now on, <laughs> whether they like it or not. <laughs> D&D Just and Hall and Oates. Just it's, go with it. We renamed the podcast uh, to uh, Dragon Talk, but I think we should call it the it's Hall and Oates official event. podcast. It really, oh my God, we'd get so many more listeners. <laughs> All right, now we have, to clue, we have to clue. We have to clue in two more new people into our craziness uh, uh, right now. So let's get them on the horn. Okay. Uh, welcome, Jason and Robert. How are you guys doing today? We are doing just fine up up here in the far reaches of Canada. Yes. How is how is Canada these days? Well, it's quite well. Well, we're not really that into Canada. We're pretty close to Toronto, which is pretty far south, actually. So, uh, but yeah, all's well. All's well. Good, good. And we're excited to talk to you because of uh, an amazing story that uh, uh, Jason brought to me, actually. Uh, that Robert, you've been running the same Dungeons & Dragons campaign for 34 years. Is that correct? That would make me uh, fairly old, but uh, <laughs> so you don't admit to such things, but yes, yes. You could have been a prodigy, a, a DM prodigy. <laughs> yeah, you started at, at, at age five. Yeah, it's totally awesome. <laughs> Close. Yeah, I think I was 14, yeah, in 1982, so there you go. Wow, okay, so let's, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, as, uh, as Mark Maron on the WTF, WTF podcast like to say, where, like, where, where did this all start? Where, to take us back to you being 14 and starting up this campaign. All right. Well, I grew up in a very, very small town uh, out west uh, in Canada, in a in uh, in Saskatchewan, and uh, so it was a small town of only about 250 people. Mm-hmm. It was very small, and so um, I think uh, a friend from the big city of Saskatoon uh, came out, and uh, I think he brought probably the very first AD and D beginner set with him. And uh, sat down that one evening, and whoomph, my life was changed uh, from there on. So uh, I got introduced to it. I quickly recognized that uh, that uh, the doors of gaming uh, had all of a sudden had all of a sudden changed by the fact that you could just push rules in a way that uh, wasn't allowed at the time in all the board games we played. Although 
risk allowed it a little bit, but I sensed that there was something different here. And so, and so uh, from that point on, uh, I was hooked and I wanted to play more. The problem was that, um, was that he took all of his stuff back with him except a Dungeon Master Guide. So I had a Dungeon Master Guide and I had the old Monster Manual. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but uh, I didn't have all of, all of the rule books. So as I sat down to contemplate how to um, set up my own game, I uh, I had to be, I had to do it based on the books that I had, and so right from the beginning, without, for example, a player's handbook, um, I quickly began to develop my own rule system and to fill in the gaps where they were there, and basically to uh, to take the advice of people like Gary Gygax and those guys who, who I think it was in the preface of the old uh, DMG ind indicated that uh, the rules were a guide and you could do what what you wanted with them. So uh, so that was what I did, and so. Um, we set off from there, and in probably typical style for that time, uh, we began to buy the modules, you know, uh, B1, B2, B3, B4, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So wait, the, going back a little bit, so, so you played in that first session with your friend from, from Saskatoon. You were, not I, a you were not a dungeon master, right? Uh, yes, and, and, <laughs> and to be honest, that was pretty well the only time I have ever been a player. Oh, <laughs> that was one of my questions. Yeah, it was probably was probably that that one evening, and just to give me a taste of uh, of what it was, but that was about it. Yeah. So when you had all this 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 stuff at your your disposal to create your own things, you said you mentioned kind of like changing the rules a little bit. How how did that how, how did that start? How did that, how did you start changing it to to what you wanted it to to say? Well, it started by just um, because I didn't have things like the Dungeon Master screens and, and again, without um, a player's handbook, uh, there were fundamentals that I didn't have because I didn't have the actual basic set. I just had pieces. Hmm. So, um, so I could see the way the rules were designed and I could see what my buddy had told me. And so from there, every time that I came across a situation that I didn't have uh, anything to guide me on. I just basically use common sense and numbers and dice, and uh, and and I began to evolve uh, in a way my own system. And and what it ended up doing, it allowed me to um, probably much earlier than the actual later editions of the rules did. I realized that percentiles were the key. That you had a hundred numbers to work with. That you could basically do anything with a set of percentiles. Um, you could build almost any system around a set of percentiles. So what later became, I guess, the twenty, the twenty D system, um, I probably uh, took on very, very early. Interesting. Okay, so so you're fourteen. You're you're trying to start your own campaign. How did you how did you recruit people into your into your game? Well, in a small town, you don't really have a lot of choice of who you're going to be friends <laughs> with. So uh, you, pretty, you pretty well take what there is. And so, um, yeah, there was a group that probably started with one other guy. And then, um, then we were up to a group of four, probably five. And so it was probably only a group of four or five guys that were a bit younger uh, than I was that, was that were playing for the remainder of my high school years. And so that, I often refer to that as the first phase of the campaign because... We played up to there, and then, of course, um, once I graduated from high school, I knew that I was going off to university to the big city, and um, and that was a massive transition for the game because all of a sudden, when guys are in their uh, guys and girls are in their uh, undergrad years, um, you have access to a whole array of different people coming in from different places who have much more time on their hands. 
Interesting. So, Jason, when did you uh, uh, get involved with, with this campaign? So uh, I got involved probably about uh, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, that would have been when Robert uh, when Robert's campaign was in London, Ontario. So this would have been uh, several phases later, actually. Okay. Um, I had never really played Dungeons & Dragons before. I had uh, – I'd seen – uh, you know, people in high school playing it at the, at the table in the library, and yeah, I didn't really think too much about it, but um, I, I, Rob introduced me to it, took him down, uh, took me down to the game room that he has, and kind of showed me the collection of figs, and uh, that's kind of where my love for it began, um, was sort of seeing the world that he created, seeing the physical collection, uh, and then I started playing, and I haven't stopped. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. All right, so let's go back then a little bit to the the second phase. As you, do you have this all written down somewhere? Is there a wiki of your of your, of your <laughs> campaign at all? It's no, a good idea. I, it's largely in my head at present. That's about <laughs> it. All right, cool. Well, we're going to all suss it out in this podcast so that people can, uh, can figure <laughs> it out. Uh, all right, so the second phase begins when you're at university uh, and you're meeting new people. Um, now, at, by this point, though, has you, you mentioned how you were getting modules and kind of. Uh, feeding them into your campaign is it is it a, a world of your own devising at this point with all of these you know D&D modules mixed in well again because i didn't have uh any campaign setting uh in the modules you would keep hearing this term being used uh by TSR Greyhawk 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 so so in a way uh the land that they were playing became known um as as the realm of the Greyhawk that's what it became known as, and so uh, the geography kind of broadened out based on where they would be in the various modules. So, mm-hmm. so for the first phase, while I was in high school, it was very much a module-based campaign. So you'd go module to module to module, um, and that was great. And then by the time we were done high school, we were just starting to introduce figurines. So that was just 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 starting then, um, and so in a but I. What I ended up doing, I ended up deciding that I, rather than trying to create um, a, a, a complete alternate fictional world, that I would basically use our, our world. Um, I'm a history professor, and I have a love of history, and I, I always have. So I decided that what I would do is I would create an alternative map of our world. So it's our world, although it is it is altered. And then as it turned out where, where they were playing, um, uh, I built it in, into that world. And so, and so my, my campaign world is, is an, an alternative version of our own historical world that with, with altered maps that basically contains every pre-gunpowder society uh, in our world uh, built in. And at, and at the same time, um, I decided that I would absorb other gaming concepts, other fantasy concepts, uh, other campaign settings into that world. So, uh, for example, um, the in our alternate Earth, uh, you could come in and you could play a Roman, you could be a Greek, you could be a Babylonian, you could be First Nations. Any any pre-gunpowder society exists. They're, they are on an alternative uh, timeline, an alternative history line, mm that's built in and then of course you have all of the fantasy aspects uh, added into it as well at the at the same time I ended up um, for example if you go off the very eastern edges of the maps you come to a continent slash world called called Middle Earth so Tolkien's Tolkien's entire world is actually 
actually exists in my world, um, and um, it is about 400 years after the destruction of the, of, of the One Ring. Uh, in addition, um, the continent of South America, I, uh, and uh, no offense to those from that continent, but I basically, I basically replaced it with the entire continent of Hyboria. So Robert E. Howard's world of Hyboria exists um, there, and even an aspect such as, such as a dune, um, the whole world of dune, I have a pre-technological uh, Fremen society from dune existing in the deep deserts of Arabia. Whoa. So, so it really became kind of a world that absorbed other aspects to it and then built it into this one massive uh, world and time frame. That's so interesting. So you basically took the idea of the multiverse of uh, 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 that the Dungeons and Dragons has uh, embraced here in 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 fifth edition even more, but like that it's all within the same planet, right? All within the same. Like you don't have to do like time travel or rift travel to get to these other worlds. You can just sail across a sea and you'll be in Hyboria. That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that's right. I haven't really thought about it that uh, in that sense as a multiverse because it is, of course. Uh, on the same planet or in the same world, but yeah, uh, that would be a good way of looking at it. And I, and I, I guess from a from a player perspective, um, that's one of the really unique things too. Is that when you start playing the game, uh, you really have limitless options for what character to choose or where you want to be from. So uh, right from the beginning, Rob's world is uh, completely opened up, and there's a lot of choice. That's cool. Yeah, so you basically could make any any kind of archetype that you want, uh, also a historical archetype as well. Well, that's the thing. I mean, because there's, uh, I mean, every, all of us aren't aren't Tolkien's, and so to be able to create a history, um, to create a, a, a theology, to create languages, to do that uniquely, uh, obviously, as Tolkien showed, uh, de- I mean, it demands a massive, massive amount of work and effort, and most of the time, it's not going to be successful because you're just not going to be able to get the depth in. So, I mean, again, as a lover of history, I figured why not make use of the massive amounts of material that we have, and particularly now with the internet and what you can research, um, so that imagine being a priest um, of the Greek pantheon, an Olympian priest of Zeus, and then just being able to go online and find the amount of detail that you could find about religious rituals and sacrifices and theology and philosophy, et cetera. So interesting. So did you uh, develop this slowly over time? So when you're like, you know, as you were saying about phase two, like did you, you know, take history classes during university and then figure out, oh, I'm going to put a, a, you know, a Greek culture in this now that I'm just fascinated about this? Or was it player driven? Were like players interested in it? And so therefore you, you kind of opened it up to that. Uh, it probably would have been more driven from me. I mean, I've always loved history. That's always been uh, my thing. I've always been a bit of a history geek. So, so, uh, so I guess that concept uh, was there from the beginning. Now, now, how fleshed out it was and how much detail there was, all of those things obviously came over years and years and years uh, of playing. Because the one thing about this this game, it has never ever ever stopped and so and so there's never been a break uh, there's never I mean the longest time that we've perhaps gone without playing would maybe be three weeks uh, oh my when people have to go on honeymoons or get married or crazy things like that or have <laughs> you know like silly, so. silly real life yeah so uh, so I mean it's really developed over time and of but the concept of, uh, of uh, the maps works historically be, be 
Because other than uh, our age now, I mean, people didn't know whether those maps were accurate. You know, you look at 14th century maps, 15th century, uh, and they're very open and they're vague and you don't really know what lies beyond. I mean, the whole continent of North America, people didn't even know existed, right? Yeah, I mean, here uh, there be dragons. That's right. So, so the beauty of it is that, I mean, any map can always be wrong. And uh, what you think lies out there could be wrong. And so you leave that element of the unknown there. Interesting. Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about like how uh, uh, you've been able to keep this going for, for so long. What, what do you think has been the, the staying power? Uh, well, I suppose, uh, yeah, endurance is certainly the thing. I mean, uh, obviously, you're going to have to have uh, a dungeon master who's going to be rather dedicated uh, to keep it going, basically, until the day he dies. So um, so that was the one big thing. Obviously, um, I love it enough, and, uh, and I obviously don't get tired of it. You see so many games where... You know, different people will be the game master, or they'll shift in and out, or they'll get together and play different games. And uh, I guess for me, it was all about the story, the the one big story, and keeping players on the edge, keeping them keeping them attached to the world, keeping them attached to their characters, which also, of course, takes creative storytelling. So, so I suppose if you're if you're looking for the keys of longevity. Um, one would be, as I say, having a dungeon master who isn't going to go off somewhere and who's going to stay and who's basically going to be dedicated to keeping the game going. That would that would be the first thing. Um, I suppose it takes a certain personality. I suppose it takes uh, the ability to be creative. I mean, after the first phase of the campaign, by the time I was an undergrad student at university, um, we basically stopped using modules. Uh, we we would use them every 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 now and then, but I realized that the real way to open up the freedom to my players was basically to allow them to go wherever they wanted to go. So because the world existed inside of my head, um, they could travel to any, to, to any aspect of that and they could go anywhere and I would have to be ready to, to a response. So, so I quickly moved away from the predetermined modules and what was going to happen and, and where they were going to go and basically open things up. And that, that was probably a big revolutionary change within the game. Um, so every session I had no idea where they're going to go. I have no idea what they're going to do and, and they may change on the fly. And so, um, and so it began to open up and develop that way. So, Jason, for you as a player who's been playing in this for 10 years? Yeah, that's right. So what is it for you that keeps you? I mean, what Robert's saying is amazing, that there's not that many people like you, Robert, but hats off to you <laughs> for doing it. But for a, it's a commitment for the player, too. So what is it about the game that makes you want to keep coming back? Yeah, I think... Um Obviously, Robert uh, gives this game the most in terms of uh, having it in his house and, and uh, dedicating the amount of time, energy, and uh, money towards it. But um, you know, for for me, it, it it was just about it's for me it was about the, the create creativity of it. I mean, Robert, like he said, I mean his uh, the storylines are very in depth and it's a very fluid, um, it's a very polished game. So. Uh, there aren't a lot of breaks. There aren't a lot of slowdowns from the moment that you start playing until the end. It's uh, it's it's just very in depth. Um, you know, sometimes I like to compare it to uh, for me coming into it and ha who hadn't played any uh, tabletop gaming. It feels like you're playing in in the the NFL of game game tables. Wow. I mean, it really is uh, very sophisticated, and the collection is very deep in terms of the physical aspects. That the the collection of figs and terrain, but um, but Robert's storytelling. 
and uh, and and the system that he's developed in terms of the game mechanics um, are, are very very refined and, and polished. So it really really keeps your attention. And uh, I have trouble sitting down, uh, staying still for that long during a session. So I'm up taking photos those often but um but um yeah i mean i've been playing for uh, like i said for 10 years and um and for someone that's never played before it was a really really unique experience and um uh, and the game offers something that i don't think is very common i re i also realized that uh i wanted it to be fast i wanted it, i i wanted the players to be on the edge of their seats and so many of the game systems um they become burdened down in checking this and checking that and using the screens and stopping and uh, and I wanted it to be fast. So often I'll be standing at the table, and it'll be coming around. And I mean, I can have as many at times as 10, 12 players around around the table. And we'll we'll usually play for about four four or five hours uh, per session. But I mean, I'm sitting there going, "Okay, what are you doing? Going, going, going. What are you doing?" And I'm, and so it's fast and it's rapid. And the other aspect is, I quickly learned that to make pe to make it intense and to make it exciting and to get people involved. Um, I didn't want it to be like a video game that you could just hit the re the uh, reset button. So death had to mean something, and uh, and you had to be scared to die. And so um, I, and so right from the beginning, there was no option that if you died, you could just start a new <laughs> character. So that was pushed right. up. So so you would start a character, and if you died, then you're done and you're out of the game. Now the way that you can survive and keep on going would be to have family lines. So gradually, people would build dynasties, and so you would you would play a character, and then you would play the children of your character and uh, and the grandchildren. So I think now we have some dynasties that are about uh, perhaps twenty generations long, but it's still there's still that aspect that you don't just get to start a new character if you die, and uh, and that seems to really uh, intensify the the uh, emotions. Yeah. At the game, definitely. Wow, wow. And there's been okay. players that have, that have uh, stopped playing because of that, right, Robert? I mean, people um, people have left the game as a result of dying. So. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Of course, people are. Yeah, I mean, you can be put out of the game. Now that's it. I mean, I you don't want to be so harsh that you want to, you know, that people that want to play that you're going to actually force them. So there are ways that you that you can get around it. For 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 example, you could turn to one of the other players and say, Hey, can I take somebody in your family? And so right. you could keep playing that way because obviously there's all kinds of philosophical things that go on when you're playing, right? And, and when you play a game that goes on this long, you see so much happening. And so, and so one of the biggest things that the game offers, offers me is it, it, it's a way that I don't ever have to lose my friends because as we go through life, you know, all types of things come in the way of our, of our friendships and uh, guys are particularly bad at keeping friendships. And so... I wanted something that would be so awesome that I could produce that no matter where I was or what was happening in our lives, uh, my friends would still want to come and play. Oh. That's so really that's funny. what I sought to create. I know. That's, I have like a little tear in my eye from that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got something well, in my you know, eye right now. See, I'm trying to create a bit of emotion there. See, there we go. <laughs> see, you are that's a good DM. Yeah. Yeah. So how many people are in this game? Uh, okay, probably right now I'm guessing upwards of maybe 50 players. Um, they're scattered in the local area here. You've probably got maybe 15, 20. Uh, if I go out west to up to to uh, to a place where 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 I did my my uh, graduate schooling, I probably got another 
12 to 15. If I go back to my home area, there's maybe seven or eight left there. And then um, I had to, uh, I... Wait, sorry, sorry, let, let, I need to go back and kind of uh, unpack that a little bit. So you have like people alive, player characters alive within your game world that no matter where you, the you know, the dungeon master go to, you can continue that storyline, wherever that's, they are? That's right. So so one of the things wow. that that had to come into play was a way that those that were playing at the table are playing and those that are not playing... Um, I have them all tracked to know where they last let off, um, and so and so they they will be off in various places. But they have a a they, they carry pendants, and so they're called the party the pendant. And it's because of these pendants, and basically they they will allow other people who wear the same pendants to teleport to the central pendant. And so that that way you can have people coming in and going out. Uh, to take account of the fact that you're not going to always have the same players around the table every time. In fact, it's going to change quite drastically from session to session. Mm. Oh, it's, so it's always, it's not the same group playing every session. Absolutely yeah. not. In fact, uh, I mean, when we're binge playing and when and when people are flying into town, uh, we'll play a lot, you know, all day, all evening, that kind of thing. And then you'll often have these, the, the uh, same groups. I mean, on Thursday, I'm flying out west and I'll be there playing for four days, and it'll be largely the same group, but at certain times people just can't make that session. And so you have to take account of that and build in, and that's why we built in these magical pendants to allow people to come in and out and, and thereby allow the same consistency. Now, that said, they are all 50 of them part uh, of the same international mercenary group. The, part, oh. the party of the pendant. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but are they different levels? Absolutely. So how and do they fly in and out of different games if they're different levels? Yeah, see, uh, I've never ever really liked the campaign level aspect to it. So, I mean, uh, my system allows, so you could have a first level. Now, my system is largely, the AD&D system, my levels are about double. So, so, if, so if I have a 40th level character, that means he'd be about 20th level in AD&D. Um, so, I mean, and uh, so I have characters that are extremely high level uh, Adventuring with with with, uh, with brand new characters, so I don't necessarily alter what's happening based around the group that's there, and so at times they can find you know they can find something that is extremely easy, or they could find something that that's a, that's uh, extremely hard because that seems more realistic to me. So I don't necessarily consciously orchestrate what they're fighting and what they're facing. To, uh, to take account of what levels they have at the table. So that it's up to them to decide whether or not the challenge is, is more Abs than they can handle or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And then of course with the, you know, semi permanent death that you've got going on there, I imagine they're pretty cautious. Is that, is that correct, Jason? Uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to take too many risks. Um, yeah, it's um, it can be nerve wracking at the table for sure. Uh, um, you can be sitting there in a session, and uh, if it's not going well, you can kind of see everyone sitting around with their their hands in their face. So <laughs> it can get stressful. So what's it like for you as as uh, uh, you know? Are you, you guys you play with uh, Rob's group on, on the East Coast? Uh, so do you fly out to the West when he's going to do these things, or or how does it work? Uh, I, I think. You know, Rob was talking about the friendship part of our game, and, and that's a big part of it. Um, I've been playing for 10 years, and uh, I've met uh, a lot of great friends along the way. Um, I've developed relationships with 
people in uh, in Winnipeg and in Saskatoon. And um, you know, I've got one one guy. Uh, he uh, he used to own a, a burger shop in Rob's hometown in Borden, Saskatchewan. He would he would call me call me once a week to talk Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so you you develop friendships that. Um, that that are um, just because of through playing and through getting to know these guys, and uh, that that's a big part of it. So I've I've done tours where I've uh, traveled with Rob to um, uh, to to Winnipeg to play, uh, and um, but most of, most of my playing is done locally. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll play in London when I'm here, but um, most of the trips that he goes on, he he goes by himself. Although you did uh, you did come to England uh, and play in Britain. Yeah, wow. well, you hadn't mentioned England yet, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wait. Yeah. So, so what? T- tell us about England. What happened in England? Uh, I had a, I had a few of my cousins that uh, that came over to visit, saw the game, uh, wanted to get involved, and so they started playing. And then because they were playing, I flew over to play there, and then they brought in players there. And then so, I think for about at least, I mean, I was for a decade. I was over. I was heading to Britain maybe twice a year uh, to run sessions there as well. And. And uh, and that's kind of fallen off, but there are now guys from Britain uh, uh, who are who end up coming here to play. And the whole technological aspect uh, now that we can have uh, now that I can have online players using a webcam and things like like a Google Hangouts uh, that basically opens up the door. So now I can have players play um, well basically anywhere. So interesting. And so, Jason, you mentioned a little bit how there's this this camaraderie of the of the of the players, um, you know, and you talk on the phone. And, you know, do you are you planning what's going to happen in the game, or 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 how do, how does that work? Is there like an adversarial relationship with Rob, or is it more of a, a cooperative storytelling type thing? Um, I you know there there's uh, in our game because Rob's playing in London, um, and that's where most of the sessions will take place. They're sort of an active group, so those those are the guys that are local from London or from the Toronto area um, that are going to play the most. So um, yeah, there's definitely planning sessions that go on uh, for campaigns where you're trying to figure out the next steps. Um, you know, the worst thing is because Rob's system is so open ended. The worst thing is getting to the table and you know trying to figure out what you're going to do then. I mean, it's better to go in kind of knowing where you want to go and what you want to do. But um, uh, yeah, it's um. You, we would play. We would play locally. I, t- you know, have a lot of friends in the Toronto area, so we'll drive into London for the weekend and we'll play our sessions. Um, no, normally, a session like Rob, Rob was saying was four or five hours. So you'll um, you'll you'll play your session, and then after um, we'll kind of all hang out. So have some have some drinks and kind of talk about the session, rehash things, talk about what went what well, what went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, Rob's pretty involved. I mean, he hangs out with us and kind of he digests everything with us, kind of figures out uh, where where things uh, were good and where they were bad. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's a gaming club and it's a friendship thing. I mean, like I said, I made a lot of friends, and you spend uh, all this time with these people, and uh, yeah, it, it really develops great friendships. So, so when new people, well, if, if you often have new people coming in, or is it just you've already got fifty people scattered across Canada, so you're not <laughs> recruiting more people, but are you uh, are you bringing more people in? New blood is always uh, awesome, and and I do love uh, bringing in new players and seeing that excitement and that character development. There's, I mean, when you develop that character for the first time and you come in for for the first time and your eyes are new, you're really only going to experience that once, you know. Uh, and the way that you respond to things and places and the fact that you don't know the maps and you don't know the regions and you don't know the classes. And uh, so you only get to feel that once, and so I actually love uh, when when new players come in. Um, you know, it's a bit. It's um, I 
That said, uh, you know, I, you don't want to have so many players uh, that you have that, that when you get around to the table, things are be things are going to get too slow moving. So my biggest factor in bringing in new players would just be making sure that there's going to be room and that you're not going to have too many people at the table. Um, but that said, ab absolutely. I mean, the truth is that as we go through through our lives, uh, people are going to come and go. And as much as I want this to be my vehicle for relationships and friendships, uh, at times, you know, people are going to drift away and then hopefully they'll come back. Um, but I mean, if they don't, they don't. So, uh, if you, if so you love something, set it free. <laughs> <laughs> it was never yours, Robert. There's a, there's a, well, I am rather sloppy. Uh, so, um, but yes, the quick answer to your question is yes, absolutely. There's always room for new players. And the cool thing now is that, of course, uh, as particularly some of the older pioneers of the game age, uh, our children are entering, right? Oh, I was going to so, ask about that too. Yeah, so you're starting to see a new generation uh, come in, and that's kind of and that's kind of cool too. Yeah, for sure. So, is this is the goal to play once a week, or are you doing it? All, uh, often at various at various times, we uh, the kind of idea was. I think when we were undergrads, um, you know, the idea was okay, let's play Sunday evenings because that's a time when you know most people are hungover and they just want to. <laughs> And you know they don't have to, they don't have dates to go on and that kind of thing. So at at that point it was it was a basic set evening once a week, and that also went on when I moved uh, to Winnipeg and and uh, and I was doing my graduate work. Um, now that I'm in London and I have less local people, um, there's a lot of binge playing. So uh, there's always people wanting to fly in. Uh, I mean, uh, there's always people coming in, and so when those people come in, I always I always want to get them as Many sessions as I possibly can, and and maximize their their playing time. So at those times, you'll see numerous sessions in a row, and so you'll see flurries. Uh, but on average, if you probably stretch it out, you'd probably have maybe one or one point five or maybe two two sessions a week overall. Oh. Wow! So who who in the game has played with you the longest consecutively? <laughs> Shoutouts. Actually, one of the guys who flew into London just a couple days ago and is actually in town now, uh, this guy by the name of Al, he would probably be one of the older players going back, I'm going to say, to 1985. Some of the earliest guys. Oh, my guys that God. I, That's amazing. <laughs> some, of the, some of the guys that I played with in high school, uh, like from my small town, I don't think any of the original four or five are presently active right now, although their family lines are always there and they could show up at, at, at any time and boom, they'd be back in. But, uh, but yeah, there'd, there'd be a handful of guys, Dave Sheldon from Winnipeg, those guys, uh, those, would, those would definitely be some of the older pioneers that would go back to about uh, the mid-1980s for sure, yeah. Wow. It's like you've created your own like RPGA uh, in I know. a way. I love it. Their family lines are still there. Yeah. <laughs> so as a, as a DM, sorry, I, mean, I just have, I have like a whole list of questions. Do it. Um, I feel like there's so many challenges to being a, a DM, and you somehow are managing them all, such as in, like the, the vibe of the group and bringing new players in. Like, you know, you kind of all have to agree on who the new players are going to be. If they fit in with your group, you, you know, you all have to have a kind of a certain the same goal, the same dynamics, and overcoming that. And also, people have different play styles, and some people like the combat more than the exploration or more into the storytelling. So it seems like you're balancing a lot and your groups can be different. So you never really know like 
mean, you have all these different styles. Like, how are you? How are you managing all of this? How are you keeping everybody happy? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's interesting. I don't often think about it that way. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about, and uh, and so absolutely, you're going to get personality clashes. You're going to get people who just don't like each other. Um, and I suppose it it could again be my small town background, growing up in a town where you didn't have cliques and you didn't have factions, and you basically, if you wanted to play, there's only like three or four guys that you're going to play with. So you better <laughs> learn to get along. You had better be open, and you had better be tolerant. And so, and and so, I suppose that's part of my personality. That I, um, I would never, ever, ever, for example, turn to anybody and say that you can't play anymore. That would that would break my heart. So now I will say that there are times when people don't like each other to the point that I will just say, look, if you don't like that person, then I'm not going to kick him out. So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to kill their character, and, and you want to wipe out their family. <laughs> I can't control that, but that's up to you. Has so, that happened? Oh. Has that happened? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, there's Players been, there's attack each other? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was in the younger Ruthless. days. Uh, oh, no, no. It just went on a short while ago. So, so it would definitely happen. <laughs> uh, so Jason, we is, got news for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Your family is being targeted <laughs> next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my point is keep it in the game. And so... And so, uh, and so, if you're going to have issues, and they do, and and I guess it's, uh, I mean, if you have, you have to have a little bit of uh, authority in your personality, I suppose, to keep everybody at the table in line and not acting out and smartening up and not doing stupid things and keep it in game. Hmm. And so, I'll often, I'll often do that. So when people go out of character, uh, as they like to say, there better be a, a very good reason why you're doing that, because otherwise, it doesn't make sense anymore. So, so uh, keep it in the game. And uh, as far as uh, players, for example, some people who like combat, ab- absolutely, and some people don't want to do so much of the role playing, and they don't want to listen to the story. And that's, you know what, uh, suck it up. And so, <laughs> and so, I w- I will try to make them all happy, and they will certainly get some of everything. But again, if you can keep the story creative enough, and keep it going, and keep it and keep it energetic, and keep keep people on the edge of their seats. Um, then, uh, then they will learn uh, to enjoy all of those aspects. Right. It really sounds like the pace that you keep up, uh, uh, so that it is so uh, intense and fast moving, kind of uh, ameliorates the people who only like doing one thing or the other. Because, you know, if you don't like the exploration that's going on right now, just just wait five minutes and there'll be combat, or wait yeah. five minutes and something else will happen. Is that is that true, Jason? Yeah. There, there's a. I think, you know, we were talking about the balance in Rob's game, but um, it really is balanced in the sense that um, no matter what you like, I mean, you're going to get something out of that out of the game. So uh, if you like combat, there's definitely going to be combat and there's combat every session. But there's that exploration and there's that um, that uh, in-depth creativity to the storyline that, that really draws you in. So um, it's pretty hard to not be uh, into the story as well. I mean, Rob's a really good storyteller and... Um, and uh, so it's really tough to not get drawn by that as well. I was going to mention one thing that um, in terms of adding new characters, uh, new players, um, Rob's basement that he's devoted to this game is, is um, a big draw. So he's uh, devoted his entire basement to uh, the game in, in terms of uh, the, the tabletop and the, and the train and the figs. So, uh, you know, you walk down uh, into Rob's basement and you're immediately sort of drawn in by this. And you start asking questions. And, and that's where a lot of players come from, too. It's, it's definitely a part of Rob's life. So... You, you'll run into his game uh, just by knowing him. So That's cool. Yeah, talk a little bit about because uh, when we were emailing back and forth, one of the things you showed me was uh, uh, your Instagram page, uh, Jason, and how you've been like documenting the, the battles and all of the, the miniatures <laughs> yeah. and, and terrain that you guys have used. And it looks, you're right, it does draw, it drew me in immediately. So I would want to talk to you guys. Uh, 
So yeah, talk a little bit about what the documentation has been like taking the, the photographs. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sort of a hobbyist photographer, so I like to take photos. So I'm bringing my camera to sessions, uh, to take photos and, um, yeah, I sort of document the last 10 years and, and what I've seen in that last 10 years is an evolution of, of, um, of the figs and the train, just as there always sort of has been. And Rob can talk more on that, but, um, yeah, I mean, documenting the game has been important because it's kind of shown us uh, that we have something unique. Rob's collection is really massive. I mean, how many figs are there, Rob? Uh, maybe 20,000 uh, professional. Oh, uh, God. I thought Chris Perkins had a lot. No. Yeah, I think you're beating Chris Perkins as far as the number of and, miniatures. And so part of, um, I mean, Rob just has so many miniatures and so much terrain that he can really create any environment on Earth. And, and that, again, is part of the draw um, as a player um, that you don't have to have a great imagination. Um, you know, Rob can throw down a world right in front of your eyes and uh it can be different and it can be customized to wherever you are so for me that was like i was saying before was one of the big draws was the the actual physical collection um but yeah for me documenting has just been important i mean it's, it's cool to, to take photos and there's so much depth to the terrain that you know if, if i'm using a, a macro lens i can actually get right in there and take pictures close up pictures of the figs and you know you almost create this realism in your photos so um yeah that that's kind of uh where i got started taking photos but cool so cool. What's the, um, what's the Instagram account so people can check it out? Yeah, it's uh, the underscore game D N D like D N D. So the game D N D. Yeah, the game D N D. Cool. So uh, so I, I if you're checking out that Instagram, you kind of see get, get a gist of our game from it. But um, Rob sort of starts by laying down uh, uh, different colored boards and then builds the world up from there. So when we first sit down to um, to start playing, we'll figure out where we're going, and you know, within ten minutes, Rob builds the world where where we're going to be. So we, there's no pre-planned sort of, uh, there's no pre-set up. Rob doesn't force us to go to a certain spot. There's not a predetermined storyline. We really have the ability to sit down at a table and go wherever we we want to go. Um, so when you say he builds up and, the world, I mean he puts down the the baseline terrain and then adds in what like castles and and hills and things based on where you guys end up going. Yeah, basically, he starts off with the single boards, either either like grass or snow or sand or water, and and builds it up from there. And we have uh, mountains, rocky mountains, forests. Uh, we've got dungeons. Um, Rob, you want to talk on this a bit? I mean, there's there's so many elements of the team that. <laughs> yeah, you have to have, yeah you have to be able to respond to everything. And I mean, I I've always loved. Uh, uh, obviously, I'm a collector. And so from the figs to the train, it's definitely been an evolution. I mean, we started out the same as every other group sitting down at the table with dice and character sheets. And uh, and so it's, and of course, being an undergrad and being a, a, a university student, you don't have much money, people don't have much money. So, you know, I mean, things things have built up uh, over, over time and we've had some incredible train makers. Um, I mean, Jason's underestimating his skills as a, as a photographer, and that's amazing to see, to just to see all of that stuff. But I mean, we have guys uh, who are who would undoubtedly be considered professional painters who play, and we have people who can make terrain. This guy named Roland uh, yeah, makes terrain that is just out of the world. And so, and then of course, going on eBay, I'm basically watching all of the terrain be made around the world, and I have stuff coming in all the time, figs coming in because. If you're going to have a world that's going to be opened up to every pre-gunpowder culture, that means that I basically want to be able to put out an army of every single pre-gunpowder uh, culture there is. And so aside from the individual role-playing aspect, um, there's also the whole wargaming aspect. So people, um, obviously over the years, uh, their characters have become leaders of kingdoms, uh, empires, countries. 
And so there's also kind of a, there's also a macro game going on at the at the same time. And oh, wow. so and so and so I want to be able to put out a full army of basically any army that they have um, or or that I may need. At the at the same time, from the macro level, you can go all the way down to the micro level. Like and it, and it, an example would be we have built in Blood Bowl. So Blood Bowl is part of the game. So at times the characters. Uh, have they they play on blood bowl teams and they'll get together and have and have tournaments so it would be like playing blood bowl only your characters are actually some of the players so, oh my gosh yeah so all those things are in my it's mind amazing. every single time you guys say a new piece of information my mind explodes even <laughs> I know. more i'm actually looking at the instagram right now this is amazing yeah it is incredible <laughs> oh my God. so we've been kind of dancing around this topic and now that we've gotten to like you know i i think we've got a clear picture of what playing in this game is like but what is the overarching story? I think you mentioned that early on as being like one of the, the big <laughs> reasons why people have continued to play for 34 years um, and that there's all these different cultures involved and you have family lines that have you know gone on for, I mean, and, uh, yeah, talk a little bit about what the timeline has been in the game. So like, has there been 400 years of, uh, of 600, history? 600 years we have passed uh, with within the game. Um, and so um, the storyline um, of the campaign, I suppose, would be the same as it is in most worlds, the same as it is in our world. Uh, it's, uh, it's the epic story of the struggle between light and dark, the story of the rise and fall of civilizations, of cataclysmic events and miracles. Uh, um, but it's also the story of, of the locals, so people from across the world struggling on a day-to-day level to survive uh, and, if, and if possible, prosper. Now, that said, on a large, large level, um, they're basically the party knows that there is an enemy coming, and that enemy will will surpass any enemy that that they've seen. So over the course of 600 years, they have vanquished numerous enemies, lots of enemies, lots of foes. They have saved the world on on numerous occasions. But uh, I guess in real time, maybe about oof, maybe 20 years ago, <laughs> in real time, <laughs> uh, they got the sense that there was an enemy coming that was greater than all the others combined. And even at this time, they don't know uh, its, uh, its name. They just call him the Arriver. Uh, they don't know whether he's arrived. They don't know whether he is in the process of arriving. But they know that he is over the decades in game and out of game. He is gradually bringing the forces of darkness, the forces of the shadow together. Um, and when those forces finally get to the point that the that the arriver is ready to move, he will roll across the world and he will crush everything in his path. And so there is a lot of mystery involved. Uh, they, they have pieces of information that they know will be crucial to destroy this um, all-encompassing entity. Um, they know that he exists in the north, and so there is kind of a geographical line. And even before Game of Thrones came out with their northern wall and, <laughs> and, and, and all of that thing, um, I had my enemy gathering uh, far up in the north. So um, did you uh, did you have like a session with George R. R. Martin like 25 years ago? <laughs> He's even older than I am, so you know there we go. Yeah, right. You guys, I feel like you guys would have crossed paths a, a few times. <laughs> he totally stole everything from you. <laughs> and so, uh, Middle Earth is involved in the sense that 400 years after the Ring was destroyed, 
the enemy that exists exists in both worlds or in both continents and so the nine Nazgul, the nine ring race, have risen again, each one almost as powerful as Sauron himself, and they ultimately are serving uh, the one true master. And so, the, and so that kind of connects in there. But uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of a very quick uh, plot summary of the uh, of the of the larger struggle. Jason, do you have anything to to add to that as as a player not knowing? <laughs> All <of> this at <laughs> once. You can definitely get uh, into some uh, after a few beers, some late night discussion that goes on to, to the early morning about about the game and what it means and, and where the enemy is and and what it is. But um, yeah, I, I think you know, for me, I've been playing for ten years. I, I've I've been playing the same campaign basically, like Rob's storyline, that that greater enemy, that evil, that that plot line. Um, it, it hasn't changed. It's the same storyline. So we're working towards that goal as as a group of people and. It's crazy. It's so in depth. There are obviously many campaigns that we've done uh, that we do, um, sort of, in order to get us to the greater goal. But uh, it's just so interesting to play, and you 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 want to know what's next. You want to find out how it ends. So, and, and that's and the hook. Course, uh, <laughs> for Jason, um, he controls uh, Japan. So on a macro right. level, he he has built the Japanese Empire. Mm -hmm. uh, he he controls the Shogun of Japan. That is his family, and so within that family, he will have a character who is always attached to the party dependent to this international mercenary group. I see. Right. And so and so the, the the plot of the game is all about making sure you have all the the, the societies aligned in the right way under the party's dependent to fight this great arriver when he when he does arrive. That's an actual. Yeah, that's right. That's actually a very good point, and one of the ironies is that because um, so many people control the nations of the south and these large empires of light, and ironically, if if they could ever get together and and uh, unite and bring their forces together, they would probably crush <laughs> the enemy. And and the crazy thing is that even though it's a group of players saying, "Look, we can." We can win. We can have victory. All we have to do is get together and unite. They couldn't unite to save their lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, I guess, the, all right. So the, I, I have two questions, and then we kind of have to wrap this up. Um, but the first one is story-related. So do you think uh, 34 more years before you finish this storyline? <laughs> when, when do you think you're going to uh, play that final cli uh, climax? Yeah, you know, that's yeah, yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, if you can, let, if you can let me know, Robert, because I'd like to be in that. <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, I always say that the game will go on as long as either I'm alive or I'm able to keep it going on. Uh, so, uh, so as far as the climax goes, part of that is determined by the players. I mean, they can largely, they can largely end this particular struggle. I mean, you know, when you vanquish one enemy, another one rises. But, uh, but they could probably vanquish this enemy. Um, that's more up to their choosing and what they do and the actions they, they take and their ability to unite. But 34 years, uh, yeah, if I could keep going for another 34 years, I absolutely will. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Interesting. Okay, and then the second question is, uh, you mentioned how this is kind of a, a modded version of, uh, of AD&D. Uh, have you had a chance to check out uh, the fifth edition of the rules? And would you ever think of, of uh, you know, changing up your system to incorporate some of the ideas that it brought to the table? I actually, I have, uh, whether it's me or whether it's one of the numerous players who are also, you know, involved in, in other games and that kind of thing, I'm always watching rule systems. So, uh, so and just the fact that my game absorbs uh, so much from 
whether it's other cultures and other games. I definitely absorb other other game game mechanics and rules. So I absolutely am always paying attention to like when AD and D came out with with all of the feats. What was that? Was that in third edition that they came out with yeah. those feats? That kind of thing. See those types of things. I had kind of already gone that way, but so many of those feats were so awesome, and so I can use so many of those. So yes, I'm absolutely watching uh, new rule systems. Yeah. Cool. Did you have anything you wanted to ask? Nope. Actually, I know My you had a page. Have been, I know. Well, I think we've covered most of them. <laughs> I guess the final question for us, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for me and I'm projecting this onto Shelly, but when can we play? Right. I totally want to, this, is, this sounds like when I was a kid and reading about, uh, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons for the first time and then also reading about, you know, computer systems and, and, and uh, the first, you know, uh, fledgling MMOs of, uh, of Ultima Online and, and EverQuest, this is what I imagined. What you're describing sounds like what in my head was this amazing play experience. And it was happening. And it was while happening. While you were imagining that. I know, I know. <laughs> it was so actually happening. Now That's I want to go to London. I know. Yeah, book your, book your ticket. <laughs> you to say, but yes, actually, um, sure, yeah, if you ever wanted to play, all you'd have to do is send me an email and get in contact with me now to be soppy. You'd probably have to be willing to be my friend. So just so you know. <laughs> I feel like we already are friends. We are friends. Stuff like that. Perfect, perfect. Very quick, hour-long friends. Yep. Exactly. No, absolutely. Anytime. Just let me know. Cool. All right. Well, that sounds super exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, you, you mentioned the Instagram uh, where people can check out check out pictures yeah. uh, of this thing. Is there any other online resources you guys want to talk about if people want to learn more? We do have a massive website, uh, obviously, that has been built uh, by our tech guys and contains oh, like bios of every player and all the maps oh, and the entire cool. history and like a temple with all of the prayer books because one of the interesting things that we didn't get into is the development of different religions and playing clerics in a system that is actually based around religion rather than magic which is cool mm. but uh, so there's so many stuff on there I probably won't throw out that website right now because I don't want come to think of it I don't just want to throw my tech guy off by all of a sudden having traffic go to a place where perhaps it shouldn't go and I don't know much about that tech stuff so I probably shouldn't throw it out yet okay. but we do have we do have a massive but it's in it's in the works. It's in the yeah, works. It's in the works. <laughs> That's right. It is in the works. Cool. Well, that that sounds like a big project. I mean, just being able to get all this stuff out of your brain uh, and your various notebooks, mm -hmm. I guess, and into uh, maybe the DMs Guild too, if there's any. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Publish some stuff there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, great. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us. I feel like we could talk for a whole another yeah. hour, right? You just mentioned the religion part. I want to kind of learn more about that. Well, thank you very much for your for your interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank. Thanks for having us. No Our problem, pleasure. Guys. And 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 happy rolling. And I hope uh, uh, the arriver is vanquished in uh, uh, two thousand seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> good lord. Good lord. Do you know how old I'll be by then? You will. You'll be. Your consciousness will be in the World Wide Web. So you'll be all right. Somewhere. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Thank Talk you. To you. Later. Take, take care. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Well, that's amazing. Whoa. 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 That guy has so much information. Robert is amazing. Like, I, and I, 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 I didn't even get to ask him, like, what he really does for... Uh, he mentioned, I think he said he was a history professor. Is that what it is? Because you're doing grad work and everything? So, yeah, that, that dovetails really nicely with uh, uh, the amount of time and effort that is and able oh to God, organize all this. If you have a chance to check out that Instagram, go. Those yeah. pictures are amazing. The underscore game 
D-N-D. D-N-D. Check it out. Yeah. It's good stuff. Jason Hashimoto does some really good work. Uh, he is uh, a good, good photographer. Yeah, he really is. And he captures all those minis uh, on the train. It, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Grand skeeping, skeeping. Just the amount. Epic. Like, what he was talking about, like the depth of this campaign. It's insane. He's got people everywhere. And here I'm happy when I like run 14 sessions. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a good campaign. That's very 14 impressive. sessions that lasted. But this is, we're going on. I don't think I've ever gotten past eighth level. Yeah. You know, and he was talking about 40th level. I mean, it's a modded system, so it's kind of, you know, level yeah. doesn't make much sense. But 40th level, that's insane. But it was interesting that he said beginners and advanced players were playing together, which, which is, I guess, more real life. If we're yeah. talking about real life and our fantasy life. But. I mean, he was talking about the Fellowship of the Ring, like that kind of, you know, yeah. how much. It would be. There's there's a couple of level ones in there along mm-hmm. with some level level 10s or higher. Yeah. So that makes sense. It's very wow. cool. And I love that the kids are starting to play now. The next generation is coming to the table. Yeah. It's cool. like Star Trek. It's crazy. It's amazing. I really do want to play. I think I'm going to go to London and be like a I think on the ground floor. You might even have, be able to expense it. Like I might even be able to expense it. It's like a work trip. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out. It's a work know. trip. <laughs> it's a totally work trip. Boondoggle. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, uh, listening to our interview uh, with uh, Jason and Rob. Yeah, go check out. As interested as we are, right? It's really cool. I, I we got to have him back on in like a year and be like, so what's happened? He's gonna be know? like, oh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> After we talked to you, we realized yeah. how dumb it was. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> Game for thirty-four years. Silly talk. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Please, if you uh, enjoyed this uh, conversation, uh, give us a rating and a review on iTunes. That always helps. Uh, we'll start to be in other um, uh, podcast services pretty soon. So. You, uh, you won't be a slave to iTunes anymore, uh, hopefully soon after this. Um, and, of course, as we mentioned in the, in the opening, go check out Dungeon Delve if you're interested in more audio play stuff uh, from Chris Perkins um, and the ongoing story of Acquisitions Incorporated, which plays twice a year, which seems, you know, oh, that was a long time from 2008. They've been going on for, you know, yeah. six years now. No, not They're six. well on their I know way. How to add eight years at this point. So they're almost as cool as, uh, as, as Rob's game is, but close. They're on their way. Go check that out. Um, and uh, Storm King's Thunder is coming out this fall. Go check out uh, uh, the weekly series that's coming from Matt Mercer. Um, and as well, the Acquisitions Incorporated, this series, which you can find at uh, Penny Arcade. You guys are awesome. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. More amazing Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. This has been Dragon Talk. Goodbye.